Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job. We are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Great to see everybody this morning. I got to tell you, Christian, having this many young people at 9:40 on a Saturday morning is uh, it's quite an accomplishment. Well, they're excited to see you, Charlie. And Charlie, I don't think you really need an introduction, but uh, thank you for starting a great youth movement uh, throughout the country, and uh, you're also working in churches now. Uh, you've started Turning Point Faith. Um, you're, you're newly married. Yes. How, uh, so l l let me tell you this for, for all the, the young people out there, is uh, get married early and have lots of children and reject everything, everything that secular culture is telling you is a lie, seriously. Uh, like, oh, I need to go pursue my career. That's a bunch of garbage. Go find a godly person who loves the Lord, who is obedient and loyal to you, and marry them, and reject all this hookup culture garbage, and get married early. And, and Charlie, I think, is the right type of conservative that we want to hear, have here at this conference. Uh, what he stands for, his values, um, who he is, and God's really using you, Charlie. So just thankful for who you are, man. Like, you're a, a real rock star, and God's using you in his kingdom. So thank well, you so much. Thank you. And Christian, you're doing a great job. And it's so good to see so many young faces here and Turning Point chapter leaders. And uh, if you're not yet involved with Turning Point USA, we have a table out there. We'd love to have you you do that. I'm also, if anyone lives near Waco, I think it's October 13th, is that right? October 12th or 13th? I don't even know if we've announced it yet. 13th? We will be in uh, at Baylor University speaking, and so that'll be a lot of fun, so all of you are welcome, but look, we, we want to explore a lot of important things. I asked Christian to come up here. I actually enjoy the back and forth. Um, I'd give a lot of just kind of solo speeches as it is, and then I want to take questions from all of you guys, kind of hear what's happening on the ground, um, and how I can help you or we can help you at Turning Point USA uh, because we're in the midst of an unprecedented slow motion cultural revolution right now where if you speak out on behalf of conservative ideas or Christian ideas, if you say that America is the greatest nation ever to exist in the history of the world, in certain environments uh, you could lose your job, you could lose friends, there is a price to pay. And so we have to navigate that together today and I just also want you all to know uh, that you're not alone in that fight and that it's worth standing for truth even when you think uh, the cost is too great. And so I, I definitely want to get into that today. Absolutely. So let's just start it off. Why is why are youth so important uh, to this country and what are your thoughts about how they can make a difference locally uh, and throughout this state? Well, it's our country, everybody. I mean, you know, I'm not going to totally wage intergenerational war here, but um, 
Let me just say that our parents' generation, I'm 27 years old, so I'm not that much older than you, uh, they lived in a different America, and they th some of them still think we live in that America. The 1980s and 1990s America is dead. I wish the America I grew up in still existed. Many of you, who are, who's in high school right now? Anyone raise your hand? That's awesome. Uh, you will probably not live while you're a teenager in the same country I grew up in just 10 years ago. It would, it would be, it would have been unthinkable when I was in high school for anyone to have insulted the country the way that our current leadership does and be tolerated as someone that is allowed in the mainstream of the conversation. To judge people based on skin color, we used to call those people racist, and we still should call those people racist, by the way. This idea of critical race theory, the, the diversity industrial complex, wokeism is another term for it. Our country has changed dramatically for the last 10 years. And you're all here today because you feel that happening in your high schools, you feel that happening with your peer groups, you see the propaganda on TikTok, on Instagram, and you are worried that you're going to live in a country where you're not even allowed to speak your mind. And so we now need to kind of invert the axis where all of a sudden we now need students to lead their parents. And you know, I heard earlier you know, a speaker say, you know, are, are you guys going to take it as your generation? I think that's probably a good question, but quite honestly, baby boomers and the adult generation, God bless you guys. You guys did a wonderful job building big churches and great businesses and big families, but the country's in a really bad place right now because a lot of adults did not take school board races seriously, text, the textbook curriculum seriously, and now we're living in an unprecedented chain of events. And so, Thank you guys. Now I can see all of you guys. Thank you. And so wh what does that mean for all of you students out here? It's you now, we now have to take responsibility for the future of our country. And I'm now asking 15 year olds to do that. Yes, that's right. And so I talk sometimes to, um, to people that are, let's say 60 plus, and some of them get this, but more than not, they still think we're living in a 1980s America. That success is defined by a rising stock market. That success is defined by some sort of like weird platitude like diversity is our strength, which is of course total garbage. Of course it's not our strength. Are you kidding me? Uh, unity is our strength. And since when our difference is a strength to any sort of enterprise, what brings us together is always what combines us, not our differences. However, allowed that to be some sort of bumper sticker, like, you know, our strength is actually pointing out how much, how different we are. Like, that's kind of weird. I mean, no, and that, that's, that's an anti-Christian idea, yeah. right? I mean, it says very clearly in the scriptures that we have unity in the body of Christ. Right. Could you imagine, like, you know, actually our, our strength as a church is that we have all different sort of beliefs on what the Bible says. Like, no, that's, that's not how this works, actually. And so for students out there, it's our country now. And so now you have to step up as a teenager and start to contest for this beautiful gift that we've been given, which is a constitutional republic that quite honestly is in great jeopardy. Right. It's in great jeopardy from forces both internal and international, but really the internals where this is happening. There's a variety of different ways that you should go about that and how you can go about that. But I'll give you one right now, which is if every single person here today made a lifelong pledge to be the same person in public that you are in private, the country is saved overnight. And so, so let me tell you this, is that all of you are tempted 
to be somebody different at work, at school, with your family members. Self-censorship is the number one form of censorship. Maybe you're less likely to want to share the gospel with your friends because you don't want to be called a Bible-thumping mystic. Maybe you're less likely to wear that red hat to, beautiful red hat, to your, you know, to school because you don't want to be called all these names. And now you don't have to be, you don't have to be callous or obnoxious about it, but never, ever, in public, all of a sudden cushion your beliefs with something that you would say privately. We, the silent majority is the problem. Why are we so silent? We're silent because we're afraid that they're going to fire us, that they're going to terminate us, that they're going to ridicule us, and that we're going to mock us. We all have the power to stop that today. That's good. That's good. And at this conference, we've talked about how you can make a difference. You can go start organizations. You can start one of his organization's uh, chapters. You can do a lot of different things. You can go volunteer at your church. Um, you can go volunteer at a food bank. But a life of service to others is the most fulfilling life. When you go out and you choose to make a difference, if you don't make your life about you, but you make your life about others, then you're going to be fulfilled. And I feel like Charlie's done that pretty well. I mean, he's, he's, he's lived a fulfilled life, and God's used him, and he's elevated him, and, and he's you know, very close with President Trump, and um, he's very close with a lot of the, the most highest leaders in our nation, and it's because God's put you in a position of authority, um, and he's given you a platform to be used. And I know that um, when you reach a certain mountaintop at such an early age, there's a lot of pressure on you. Um, what would you tell young people about the type of faith? Uh, just, you know, kind of personalize this more. Talk about your faith and, and what it took to get you to your position, because I know there's a lot of young people uh, that would, they want to be like the next Charlie Kirk. They want to go out and make a difference. We have young people here that want to be influential on social media. They want to be influential in organizations. They want to be meeting, you know, the amazing people he's given. You know, he's, he gave his speech at the RNC convention last year. He's rocking the world. So uh, tell us the faith it took to get you there. Yeah, so, f you know, first let me just kind of say that, um, you know, we've been doing this for nine years now at Turning Point USA. I never went to college. Highly recommend skipping college, by the way. Um, every parent immediately pulls their kid out of the Texas Youth Summit. How dare you say such a heretical thing? It's true. Um, you, if you send your kid to college, you're going to play Russian roulette with their values. And, I mean, look, college can be good if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, largely a waste of time for most kids that go to college. And a lot of debt, you can learn to hate the country, probably question your faith and engage in evangelistic nihilism. Uh, people say, well, how, about, how do you find a job? There's plenty of job opportunities you can get outside of getting a four-year degree, and if you get one and you survive, uh, more power to you. I'm not one to tell you what you should do with your life specifically. I'm just telling you, you want to know how you get a generation of Elon Omars and AOCs and Rashida Talibs. So when you send 20 million people to college every four years. Okay, so for my own personal journey, um, it's really been a story of the Lord. And the, the more I've realized that God gave us his commands and the law to bless us, not to penalize us, it's been one of the greatest learning lessons of my life. So the way that we teach the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments of the Bible, is totally wrong to most young people. We say, these are rules you must follow or else God is going to punish you. That's, that is true, but honestly, it's no, the Lord gave you these to bless you. 
that if you honor the Shabbos or the Shabbat, if you honor a day for God, then all of a sudden you're going to be outside of all this ridiculous, nonsensical world and you will be blessed by that. If you honor your mother and father, it's the only commandment that has a promise in it. It's what? You will live long in the land of which I have sent you in. Is that God did not give us these commandments because he hates us. He gave us these commands because he loves us. Because he knows that our nature is to be inherently rebellious, is to try to, and the story of humanity, which was the story of the serpent, the story of Satan, is to try to stage a rebellion against God. You see, in the spiritual, the invisible domain, Lucifer staged the original rebellion against God. He took one-third of all the angels against him. It says this in Ezekiel. And so now his whole, his whole program with us as mere kind of physical manifestations of a spiritual war is to try to get us to embrace a full-time rebellion against God. God tries to bring us back into relationship, giving us his son, Jesus Christ, but also day-to-day -day trying to live his commands and be obedient to his teachings. Um, it's hard in the culture that we live in. It's hard to all of a sudden reject the things of the flesh, to reject kind of wanting to be the most important person in the, in the room. But I can tell you this, that you will not live a life of blessing instead of one of chaos and misery the more that you try to go the ways of the world and not of the word. And so I, I can kind of say this, um, I, for those of you that kind of want to be you know, famous, it's really not that great, to be perfectly honest. Um, you shouldn't want that. Seriously, you should want to make an impact. Um, I could tell you it's, it, it's, it's fulfilling to know that what I say is heard by millions of people, for sure. Uh, but the true freedom comes from relationships with the Lord and with my wife and with close friends. And I also just want to be brutally honest with all of you. You're like, oh, yeah, I want your life. Okay, every friend you have, you will lose. Okay? Now, I want, I want to tell you what, what it was for me, okay? Every high school friend except two I lost. Every person that used to call me a mentor has now publicly denounced me. My family is divided more than you could ever imagine externally, not my nuclear family, thankfully, right? You get reporters coming after you like you couldn't imagine, right? You get blamed for things you didn't say and you didn't do. Sounds wonderful, right? Um, what I'm trying to just, I'm just trying to sober you that it looks all kind of fun and wonderful through the social media lens that you might view somebody. But yeah, there, there is a tough journey. And then but it's honestly the greatest blessing of my life because I'm like, look, I'm gonna say things that are true and I really don't care what people are gonna say after that. I'm not running for office. I, I really don't care about, I'm going to say that, for example, I say this all the time, it drives the media crazy, right? God created man, God created woman. It's that simple. This transgender nonsense has gotta stop immediately, okay? It's time, just some very basic things. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. There is, there is a God and you are not him and that we should worship him and obey him every single day. That we, need, we, we should have leaders and we should have people in charge that put our nation first and put our citizens first. We need to have an immigration system that prioritizes American-born citizens. We need to try to have large, increased church attendance, 
We need to have larger families. We need to solve the divorce epidemic. We need to solve the epidemic of opioids and homelessness in our country. We need to stop going on these adventurous foreign wars where we do not know what success looks like while our own citizens are carted off halfway to a land that half the people in this room might not even be able to pick out the country if it wasn't labeled to say what, we're fighting for freedom? Like, okay, well how about this? How about we fight for freedom and try to stop the crimes, the, the, the plague of urban crime in our cities, or fatherlessness, or try to increase literacy, or try to increase the ability to keep people together. The point I'm getting at here is that if you believe things are true, then you should say those things. But I also want to make sure that you know it comes at a price and it comes at a cost. To say these things that I just said, that kind of little, you know, 90-second thing, um, you are then challenging the incumbent orthodoxy. Um, and so, yeah, I could give a lot of different pieces of advice, but trust the Lord, read the Bible every single day, um, do not engage in the flesh. Um, if your friends gossip all the time and spend a lot of time in social media, get off that. Uh, seriously, um, I, could, I could give a whole speech on that. Uh, I think social media is destroying our generation, by the way. Um, and, and if I could just expound on that, uh, you, are the, you are a mixture of the five people you spend the most time with. Choose wisely. Choose people that don't gossip. Choose people that don't cuss. Choose people that obey and honor the Lord. Uh, choose people that want to go find a singular person to marry and be with that person. This is considered to be like, how dare you say these sorts of things? Pleasure is everything. Like, actually, no, it isn't. You will live a life of misery if that's the case. And when parents send their kids to college, that is the ultimate value, right? That is what college is designed around, which is instant gratification. But I could tell you this, guys, here's, here's the awesome news, is that you can all be leaders in this very dark time, that you can lead people to the Lord, you can lead people to follow the country, you can lead people to love their nation, you can lead people to pursue righteousness. This country is in such turmoil right now that young people that are doing the right thing, you will set the world on fire and you will be blessed beyond your wildest imagination. Awesome, awesome. I've heard it said, the, the bigger the blessing, the bigger the burden. So like, if you're going to have a blessing and God's gonna bless you to do something, if he's gonna give you a platform, there's a weight that comes with that. You're gonna get more criticism. I, I heard Charlie doesn't even look at his Twitter because it'd be a very nasty experience for yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, it's kinda of like, I deleted all my social media, I highly recommend it for all of you, total waste of time. Uh, it makes you a worse person, it makes you hate other people, and then you're basically just a widget in the social media empire. Everyone should delete every single social media app. You're like, how do I talk to my friends? You know, I grew up in America and used to call people. I know it's kind of crazy. People don't do that anymore. Um, but no, seriously, and for me personally, you know, we still post on social media. Our team does it. I look at it like maybe once a week. Um, my life has been so blessed as soon as I stopped caring. Like, Charlie, you're trending on Twitter. I'm like, feels the same as if I wasn't trending on Twitter. You know what I realized? That all of us are being manipulated through a screen and through code that is not your own. It was so powerful. They're like, Charlie, you're trending. I said, if you wouldn't have told me, then I wouldn't have known, and then my day would have been non-impacted by something that is not real. Right. For all of you that are on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, you have just given your life to social media masters that hate you. Right. And for parents, no kid should get a smartphone before they're 18, right. seriously. Um, and kids start like shaking when they hear this, right? And it, Trust me, I grew up in an America 10 years ago. But when, you can use social media 
to your good because we do have some influencers that are represent yeah, Turning I mean, Point like, USA here. Don't try to be an influencer. Like, yeah, I mean, I have a whole thing on this. Like, why be in it? Like, do it. Try to pursue righteousness. Don't try to be popular. Yeah. I, I, t I, I, t I take it from somebody who like took the following thing really seriously for a couple years. It's a very empty life. Yeah. Okay, trust me. And yes, you could do it for good. Try not to, you know, try to manage it. Obviously, try to find a balance. And by the way, I'm saying these things to try to get your attention um, intentionally because I was like, you know, reduce your time on social media. You guys would roll your eyes. No, you have to get rid of it. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, what is it? <laughs> like, got your attention, didn't yeah. I? But it's yeah. true. Get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, look, I, I am of a sort of radical opinion yeah. that we are being micro-engineered by people that hate you and hate us and want a very specific type of country that we do not share. And so don't give up your valuable time, your soul, your spirit, your emotions to some algorithm that is like, now you have to get mad about this. Now you have to get jealous that this person's having a lot of fun at the boat on a lake when in reality they're miserable and you're <laughs> miserable because you think they're happy, right? In, re in reality, just like turn off the phone and go have real human relationships and look at people in the eye and start to live your life again. Right. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah. So like, he's, he's very influential on social media. He has a great team that helps him. Also, um, he has a lot of influencers working with Turning Point that promote Turning Point. And so there's a lot of people that are using social media for good, but it's a, it's a way to get a message out. It's a way to communicate. But, you know, your 5,000 friends on Facebook aren't your true friends. Like your, your inner circle of friends are your friends. So um, reduce your time on social media is the way I'll put it. And <laughs> Delete all the apps. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you, somewhere in between what we're saying is the right way. So. Yeah, as Aristotle said, moderation is the way to live life. So you got to moderate between Christian and me. So okay. figure it out. Okay. Use prudence, everybody. We can talk about that word if you want. Yeah, just don't spend eight hours a day on, on Facebook looking at what everybody else is doing. I don't think this audience uses Facebook very much. Uh, Instagram or, or TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is a good transition. I want to know what books you read. Uh, give us your top five books next to the Bible. Um, that, that they can read and, and grow and learn. I'm sure you spend a lot of time studying to be able to give the speeches you give, so share. Yeah, I spend two hours a day where I turn off my phone and I either go through Hillsdale online course, which I'll tell you guys about a partnership we've announced with them. Hillsdale's phenomenal. Um, where I read great books or explore big ideas. I encourage all of you to do this. It's so great. You actually feel as if you're living in a life before all of kind of this nonsense and this distraction. Uh, and I, we have a lot of Christians here, right? So let me give you kind of a, a sales pitch of something that I think that Christians have um, really got wrong. And so, some churches do this right, and I think this is one church that does, is you guys really need to honor the Sabbath. It's one, it's one of the things that we don't talk about enough in Christian culture, and it's so important is that it is the Lord's day. And I'm the worst at this, and I've become better thanks to my wife over the last month, where I will turn my phone off for a full 24 hours. A full, like, legit Jewish Sabbath. Where I, and here's why, is the Lord wants you to take a day to honor him and be out of the world. You have six days to go crazy, and here's what you'll find. Number one, you'll see things more clearly. Number two, your other six days, you won't be as fatigued. All of a sudden, those other six days will like, always kind of be centered around God's day. You'll be looking at it, you'll be looking forward to it, and it becomes kind of the high point of your entire week, right? And so I could go on why I think Christians need to take the Sabbath really seriously, um, and, but there's, there's um, mixed opinions on that, but uh, that's obviously where I 
where I land. Uh, so what books? Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, please go read books. Uh, I just need to make kind of the sales pitch for books. Um, <laughs> I never thought I'd have to do that, but we don't really have a book readership. And here, let me, let me just have a conversation with you guys about this. It's not Audible, not any of these audio books. Go buy a physical book that you can touch, okay? Very important, okay? This audible nonsense, like, oh yeah, I'm reading a book, you're listening to a book, okay? By the way, let me be very clear, I listen to books too, but I don't count that as my reading time, okay? That's very passive. But there's something that happens in your reading the word, including the Bible, that's why you gotta get rid of the Bible app, okay, seriously, go get a real Bible. I have a whole speech on this too, by the way, which is that the Bible app, I think has been one of the worst things that has ever happened. It's, it's created distracting, Bible reading, you can get interrupted, and for me, I know that when I pick up my Bible, it has a certain weight and a feel and a texture that is so unique. Why would I want to share that with some sort of weird iPhone that I'm also doing text messages and emails on? No, I want the Bible to be solely dedicated to the Lord, and I want to know that when I sit in my chair and I read the Bible, that no one can bother me, that Satan cannot have some sort of emergency phone call come in and not some sort of email. Okay, so books. Um, yeah, look, I... Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple that are really good. Everyone should go read Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell, America Since the 1960s. It's a phenomenal book, very provocative. It's terrific. Um, it, I encourage every young pe person to get into kind of the 1940s, 1950s dystopian literature, uh, like 1984, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, Darkness at Noon by Arthur Kessler, Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, and then anything that Winston Churchill wrote, who was, who was the greatest man to live in the 20th century. Let me say it again, Winston Churchill was the greatest man to live in the 20th century and gets almost no credit for that. Um, anything about Abraham Lincoln, Crisis of a House Divided is really good, and then everyone should read Aristotle's Ethics and Politics and Metaphysics. So, I, I'm gonna disagree with you on one thing. Okay. I, I actually listened to the MAGA Doctrine on, oh, on Audible. Oh, well, thank you for doing that, Christian. Um, <laughs> well, look, I, again, I, I say these things, you guys, people sometimes think, I'm so offended that you insulted listening, I'm like, Stop taking yourself so seriously, okay? I'm not, I'm telling you, as from my own personal perspective, it's like, so yeah, Christian, I'm not offended that you listen to an audiobook, okay? I would wish you would get right by the real thing, but that's a different thing. So, well, you know, you. sometimes if you're, if you're multitasking, like I like to work out and listen to books, so you can turn your car into a university and you can use Audible. That, that is true, I will agree with that. So if you're that taking a long true. trip, you can listen to books and you're driving three hours, I mean, use that time and turn it into a university. And I actually listened to his book, uh, that way, so um, check. So I think that's a good book, The MAGA Doctrine. Um, and, and here's the thing about books. There's another book that I really like, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's one of the my favorite books of all time. It'll show you how to treat people, and you don't treat people to get stuff out of them. You treat people so that uh, you can be a blessing to them, and they can be a blessing to you. If you help enough people get what they want. They'll help you get what you want. That's, that's a great quote to live by, by Zig Ziglar. Um, also, Meg Jay, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them Now. It's a really good book. Um, there's more that I could name, but um, since we brought up the MAGA doctrine, yes. let me just tell you that one thing I really appreciate about, appreciate about you, Charlie, is, is your bold stance and your, and your flavor and your brand of conservatism because Everybody calls themselves a conservative, but sometimes they don't really have the conservative, the right conservative values. They're, they paint in pale pastels, 
but not in bold colors as Reagan talked about. And the people that Charlie has at his conferences, I can tell this man has the right brand of conservatism. The things that he says, the people that he hangs around with, uh, you know, I approve of who he spends his time with. I like what he's doing. And uh, just talk yeah, about your conservative so, yeah, views. Let's talk about where the conservative movement is and where we need to lead it and what we're trying to do at the Charlie Kirk Show on our radio show and our podcast and at Turning Point USA, which is, look, conservatives have been winning elections for the last 30 years and we've been losing the country. And let me preface this by saying I have a soft spot for a lot of libertarian beliefs and libertarian um, approaches on guns. I think we need to make gun laws looser and less stringent. Um, I, uh, for example, on lockdowns, we never should have locked down the country at all. Um, it was one of the worst mistakes ever. But there is this kind of conservatism that I find to be repulsive, which is corporate conservatism, which is kind of like we're going to give an excuse not to do what's right by our voters. I'll give an example close to here, which is the governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, who's one of the worst governors in the country, and he just wants to go serve on a board of Walmart when he's done, right? And, and so Governor Hutchinson came out and he said that I'm not gonna sign a bill that forbids teenagers from chemically castrating themselves because he says that, well, we need to have the freedom to be able to choose. And so that's, that right there highlights what's so wrong with parts of the conservative movement. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That's some sort of weird secular hedonism. Liberty is the pursuit of virtue. Liberty is doing what you ought to do. So then people say, well, Charlie, who are you to say what one ought to do? Glad we can have that conversation now. There are some things that are objectively good. Telling the truth is objectively good. Protecting children is objectively good. Having children is objectively good. Increasing church attendance is objectively good. Putting your nation first is objectively good. Making sure politicians aren't self-dealing is objectively good. To all of a sudden be like indifferent, like, well, who's to say that a 13-year-old shouldn't be able to go through chemical castration surgery? No, society should say that. It's evil. It's wrong. Children should not have the ability to do that. And so that's where the role of government we should be unafraid as conservatives to all of a sudden say, you know what, we are going to call balls and strikes when it comes to castrating children. I'll give you another example where people say like, well, private businesses have a right to mandate an experimental vaccine on children. And let me just say, if you got the vaccine, I hope it works out for you. I decided not to get the vaccine. I didn't either. And, and I'm not... I'm not going to criticize you. I'm not going to, I, I, I don't do that. I, I don't make a habit of going around and asking people their personal medical decisions yeah. and then all of a sudden being like, you're an idiot. You're not, that, that's really dumb, okay? So whatever decision you made, I'm sure it's full of wisdom with a doctor and you made the right decision. That, that's a new one, that's a very moderate position. But conservatives have all of a sudden become like these weird drug peddlers telling us all to get vaccinated and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, no, it's okay that your private place of business can mandate the vaccine, even though you've been working there for 30 years. And like, okay, here's another great example. That's corporate conservatism, right? Legit, like America first conservatism is no. Our voters and our constituents deserve protection against some weird, creepy tech company that is like, no, you must go take the AstraZeneca vaccine or else you're going to get fired. That should be a protected class. And the conservative movement needs to stand up for their constituents 
that are all of a sudden being forced to get a vaccine against their will. And yet most of the conservative movement's like, oh no, no, it's their right. No, it's not. That's a protected class. You can't all of a sudden mandate that. Could you imagine if the country would, how the country would be in up, like a total upheaval if all of a sudden a employer was like, you must take birth control to work at my, people would be like losing their mind, right? No, that's my body, my choice. How that's not the case for the vaccine? And so there's this new type of conservatism best articulated by people like Tucker Carlson and by Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz does a great job, which is we are now willing to challenge overreaching government interests and overreaching corporate interests that decide to wage war on the American way of life. That means that we're going to stand against mass immigration, we're going to stand against misadventurous foreign wars, we're going to put American workers first, and our, people say, Charlie, what does success look like? Success looks like getting the birth rate to go up, crime to go down, and American social trust in their country to expand dramatically, where all of a sudden, people are proud to be America again, American again. That, this is not that hard, and yet, I'll be very honest with you, there are many Republicans that we send to Congress and many Republicans that served in elected office that don't believe what I just said. No. They believe that their, their vision is to let companies do whatever they want to do to you. If they want to spy on you, fine. If they want to all of a sudden destroy your small businesses, fine. I don't think it's a good thing that Amazon has destroyed 40% of small businesses. That's not a conservative value, that's a corporate value. I believe that small businesses are a bedrock of the American experience. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden get, oh, you could get all these wonderful packages delivered by Jeff Bezos. I don't want that. I would rather go drive six minutes down the street to the local cobbler or to the local you know, carpenter and look face to face of a guy who has to support three people in his family and pay like 20% more than all of a sudden giving Jeff Bezos another 160 billion on top of his 160 billion. So what we're getting at here is a conservative movement that prioritizes things that are beautiful and good. And what are those things? Families, children, church, and the nation. And if any sort of organization gets in the way of those things, then they're gonna have to get through us. We're gonna have a young patriot here later today, Madison Cawthorn. Who gets it? And let me tell you that when these types of leaders stand up for the people, they have all of these small dollar contributions rush in. He has donors all over the country, but it's the other politicians sometimes that are getting their corporate handouts from Halliburton that are wanting to send all of our troops off to war. And, and that's a real problem, you know, because the defense contracting that they're doing is, is paying their, their, their finance. So, and, and let me be very clear, you know, my, my position on trying to de-emphasize nation building, which was a total disaster, is also a nuanced view of what Biden and the regime just did right. in Kabul right. is treason to our country right. to not allow our own military to defend themselves and to have one of the reckless, most incompetent withdrawals in the history of the planet. So I just want to make sure my position is very clear that while I believe nation building is a failed project right. and all of a sudden implementing trillions of dollars to try to make sixth century goat herding perverts like embrace Thomas Jefferson, which was a total waste of time from the beginning. Right. It's like, oh yeah, let's go spend a trillion dollars. Meanwhile, our citizens are suffering. But let me be very clear. The way that this withdrawal was handled was 
I believe, treasonous to our country. Right. Um, and impeachable. And impeachable. Impeachable. Giving weapons to the enemy, turning our back on our allies. So I just want to make sure that's very clear and that's not lost in some of the current news cycle. Right. And it, it, Biden is conflating the withdrawal with how we withdrew. We should not have withdrawn the way we withdrew. So he's making it about, well, we had to withdraw. Well, I mean, that's well, I mean, not what here, it's about. Here's the example. It's like, okay, you have, you have a failing heart and you have to get surgery. You're like, okay, I'm gonna take a pocket knife and just take my heart out. Like, no, that's a really bad idea, okay? <laughs> you need to consult like people who know what they're doing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna like cut my heart out. Like, okay, we know that you have to have heart surgery, okay? We know that needs to get done. His excuse is like, well, it had to be done. Like, again, it's like, if you have to get, if you have to get your appendix removed, you don't be like, go to a homeless guy on the side of the street and be like, can you get rid of this thing? Like, that's basically what we did, right? right. It's like, oh yeah, we gotta get out of the country. Let's go find some guy who's screaming to the sky to like execute our withdrawal. It was the dumbest foreign policy decisions ever made. It's like, right. you know what we need? We need to go give to the Taliban our helicopters and our weapons. Like, that's- That's your tax dollars. Right, and so anyway, I'm happy to explore that further. The word nation building, I think Charlie's, what he's saying is we shouldn't be trying to build democracies all over the Middle East, that doesn't work. So that's the- Well, point. and it doesn't work for a reason. It's, it doesn't work because the intelligentsia, they don't understand our own history, which our own history was 600 years of intellectual exploration and writing and Christians building a philosophical formation that then all of a sudden self-government could be tolerated. So our own leaders don't even know our own history. So they're like, oh yeah, you know, the Taliban will all of a sudden embrace liberty. Like, no, they haven't done any of the hard legwork. They're 500 years out. They have a lot of debates to still happen internally, dialogue, reformations. They, have, they, they didn't go through the Magna Carta. They didn't go through the Mayflower Compact. They didn't go through the Virginia Declaration of Rights. They didn't go through the Great Awakening. They didn't go through Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Jonathan Mayhew. They didn't go through Thomas Paine's Common Sense. There was a lead up that organically allowed us to embrace natural rights as a way to govern ourselves. And we're like, oh yeah, we can go into the Kandahar Valley and all of a sudden tell them like, you know what, here's this idea of liberty. They're like, we're living in the 700s. What are you talking about, right? And so that kind of hubris is best embraced by people that quite honestly don't, don't understand our own history. Right, well, I think one thing that would be really interesting to talk about, we have just a couple of more minutes. Yeah, let's, we're running out of time, but we have a couple of more uh, minutes for questions. So let's, let's take a couple of questions uh, from the audience, and so, okay, so we have uh, Nick who's going to help, and, and maybe Brandon or Nick can help and, and, and ask and, and bring some questions. In the from meantime, the guys, I'll, I'll give you a super shameless plug. Two things: uh, get involved with Turning Point USA. Everyone needs to go sign up and start a high school or college chapter. Um, and then, if so, I do. We do two podcasts a day on the Charlie Kirk Show. Um, and if you guys would consider subscribing to The Charlie Kirk Show by taking out your smartphone, every single phone has a podcast app. It really blesses us. We travel the country. It keeps us immune from big tech censorship. You take out your smartphone, type in Charlie Kirk Show, and hit that beautiful subscribe button. It really, really helps us out. Thank you for doing that. So we're um, and if every person in this room did that, we would beat Rachel Maddow on the podcast chart. So let's all do that and beat her together. So, so we're going to take uh, about three or four questions, and, and so I'll let Katarina, let me, let me pick them, and um, actually, let, let's, let's let Charlie pick them, okay. Okay, um, we'll, we'll, we'll pick three or four people, and then you'll get to ask a question. So Katarina, can you take She's very eager. That could be very good or bad. My, my, I've, I've heard worse, trust me. Let's try to take one up in this area too. 
Yeah. All right. So first of all, thank you for what you do and for Turning Point. Um, my question is actually on the Afghanistan thing. Yeah. I just am reading MAGA Doctrine right now. I read your um, chapter just the other day on No Endless Wars. And I agree with what you're saying about um, nation building. And I personally think maybe we shouldn't have even gone there in the first place to Afghanistan. But now that we're there, there's a complicated issue. And so um, I guess what my question is, were we actually really fighting a war or was it more of a peacekeeping presence? And I can kind of see how a peacekeeping presence is necessary because if you create a vacuum in the Middle East, someone's going to fill it and chances are it will be China or Russia and we're seeing it's the Taliban, but China's benefiting. Um, so I guess I'd like to explain that a little bit. And after World War II, like we stayed in Germany, we're still there. Um, so I, I'd just like you to delve into that a little more. That's, that's a really good question. So thank you for reading the book, by the way. So yeah, you have to have prudence, which comes from a Greek word prudentia, which means practical knowledge or common sense. So you have to have non-ideological approaches to foreign policy, which means you come in and see how things are, not how you wish them to be, and then you make appropriate decisions. Yeah, looking back, it probably would have been a better decision to have special operations to operate throughout Afghanistan and hunt terrorists by terrorists than thinking we're going to spend $200 billion to go prop up an Afghan military that doesn't even fire a shot but when the Taliban comes after them, right? That was not just a waste of time, it was a waste of lives, a waste of money, so on and so forth. So the situation is currently a total disaster. Um, the way we withdrew, again, was one of the dumbest things we've ever done uh, because we've decided to elevate diversity over competency, right? Lloyd Austin and Mark Milley have no no business at all running the Department of Defense, and they're there largely because of a emphasis on diversity. So I'm going to keep this short. What the solution is right now, quite honestly, neither of us could tell you because we don't even know all the classified information that's around it. But at the current moment, there's only one thing that matters, which is we probably now have to send our armed forces back into Kabul to get every single American out of Kabul because of the recklessness that was now. So now all of a sudden we have to fulfill, our, the, our leaders now have to think non-ideologically, right, where it sounds nice to end the endless wars, which of course I believe, but now we have our own countrymen stranded in Kabul. So now all of a sudden the decision-making matrix using prudence changes, right? You're like, okay, if your own Americans are stranded, you got to go get them. And so the problem now that 13 Marines were killed is that we turned our wonderful, amazing Marines, and God bless them for their service, into like traffic cops and paper processors at the gate when we should have been doing NEOs, which is a non-combatant evacuation operation, and sending our Marines to go get Americans out of the city back into the airport. Not to mention, we never should have given up Bagram as quickly as we did. We would have been able to do this evacuation a lot quicker. And so, again, I, I will say this, that kind of foreign, occupying foreign territory, uh, especially in the Middle East, has tended not to actually result in the Middle East being a better, more hospitable place for liberty or freedom. That you could use Iraq, you could use Syria, you could use Libya. The general rule in the Middle East, with some exceptions, is when we get involved, whatever comes after is actually worse. You get rid of Saddam Hussein, well then you get ISIS. You get rid of Muammar Gaddafi, well then you get some super extremist Islamic terror groups. You, you allow, I mean Egypt was a little bit more organic, but then the, the Brotherhood takes over. And so, here, here's the position that I think that President Trump articulated the best, which is strength through deterrence, but we are not there to all of a sudden get involved in the government business of a foreign nation. 
That, that is where I think President Trump was so prudent and he articulated this foreign policy belief so, so incredibly well. And we've got to remember to keep the families of those lives lost in our prayers. We are at a church, so we prayed yesterday and we'll probably pray again today and pray for everyone in Afghanistan um, and all of our military serving there. They're wonderful, wonderful men and women. Okay, uh, let's get to the next question. Hi, my name is Katherine Grimm, and I am 18 years old, and I just graduated high school. Awesome. Um, I did four years in ROTC at my school to enlist in the Navy, and right now I'm trying to test in, and they will not let me in unless I get the vaccine. And they, I asked, I was curious on whether, like, if I enlisted before, um, I needed, it was mandatory to get it, and they told me that if I was already enlisted and I didn't already have it, that they would kick me out and I would get a dishonorable discharge. And so I, my question is what, I do not know what to do. Like that is the one thing that I am very passionate about and I will not, like I'm not gonna not go without fighting. So I need your help on what to. Yeah, so this is a great, it's a great question. So I get these questions a lot. L let me be very clear though, is that Senator Ted Cruz is doing a phenomenal job and I wanna make sure I exempt him from this criticism. But your Republican leaders in the Senate could end this tomorrow and they're choosing not to. They could, and you say, how is that possible? They sit on the Armed Services Committee. They know every person in the Pentagon. They could combine their political power and call the Pentagon and say, you gotta get exemptions. Now, I've talked to Senator Blackburn. She says she's working on it. I've been talking to Senator Cotton. I share your passion with this issue. And quite honestly, any Republican person who is doing mass media that is peddling the vaccine, I'm telling you, they are, they, they are doing massive disservice to you right now. And it, it's really shown a lot of people's colors. And then it's really amazing to see how quiet they've been on young people being targeted for mandatory vaccinations, their whole life being destroyed, and our Republican leaders sit idly by and do absolutely nothing. I'm gonna give you some advice in just a second, so let me just kind of help you navigate this first. So basically, 60 million Americans do not have representation from the opposition party. I'm not getting vaccinated at gunpoint. I can't go to restaurants in LA, New York City, and I'm not even allowed in certain places in certain states, even though the vaccine has 12,000 plus adverse event related deaths. How many people here, raise your hand, if you know anyone that had a very, let's say, difficult reaction to the vaccine, raise your hand. Look around, so I want you to get a picture of this. This is, according to the media, they say there's no reaction, it's one in a million. We just proved those odds to be wrong. I know we have 6,000 emails and comments on our own Web, on our own show of people that lost their fathers, that dropped dead right after the vaccine, paralyzed from the waist down. Again, if you get the vaccine, you think it's the right decision for you, terrific. That's your own medical decision to take something that you think is going to work. But we know the vaccine in Israel has an 18% efficacy. So why are all of a sudden we taking our most prized possession, our young people, wanting to vaccinate them? This is about social control. And this is about them proving how powerful they are. And quite honestly, I'm disgusted by Republican leaders that are allowing this to happen. And so what can you do? 
I, 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 I want to help you. I know the best attorneys and pastors that can work on you for a religious exemption, okay? And they are starting to get some traction in the military, so don't give up. And maybe you might have to wait it out. You might have to wait six months or 12 months um, because maybe once Republicans get back a chamber of, of, of power, this can start to change. I know we're running low on time. Masks of kids. Um, forcibly masking children is child abuse, um, and we need to say that out loud. And so... There, there, is, there is zero epidemiological evidence to show that children wearing masks does anything. Out of a study of 84,000 children um, with the Chinese coronavirus, zero died that did not have leukemia or underlying health issues. Again, this is about them going after your children in some sort of creepy, weird, insidious way and trying to control you. Okay, yes, your question super quick. What is your advice to young conservatives who are outspoken, but they're always hounded down by their beliefs? Almost every day at my school, I like to share my beliefs with people, and they just hound me down yeah. and say that I'm wrong, I'm a racist, sexist, sure. transphobic, homophobic, bigot, and I want to know your advice on what to do. Because I feel like giving up, but I don't you want to. You shouldn't give up. So Yeah! Uh, yeah, so, look, and I, I just want to tell all of you guys, um, as soon as you sign up for this fight, um, you will lose friends, you will be mocked, you will be ridiculed, you will be bullied. But if you look at this from the Christian lens, that's the promise. We're guaranteed persecution. We are guaranteed backlash for this. Now look, if you say something that's insensitive, then whatever, but you don't strike me. As, like, the point is that they use these accusations as a form, again, of social control. So every single person out there, just know, you're gonna be called the worst names in the book. Get in line. None of it means anything, okay? Keep on expressing your beliefs and, and saying what you believe, and that, then you'll be truly free. Okay, last question. Do we have one more? I don't know if we do. I, I guess not. We'll, we'll, yeah, we're, we're done. I'm we're sorry. done. Yeah. you got to catch I'm a flight sorry. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a tendency to go over time. Can I, can I just say one last thing? Absolutely. If you guys would subscribe, we would deeply appreciate it. I know some of these things, you're like, wow, Charlie told people college is awful and like all these you know, things. Look, I, I want you to think deeply about some of the things I said and I say them for a reason, to try to have you live a blessed life and help save this nation. This is our country, everybody, okay? This is our home. We are not gonna go move to Singapore or Hong Kong. Our current ruling class does not have any sort of attachment to this nation. We need to spread the gospel, pursue righteousness, and defend the homeland. And I'm telling you that when we do that, our generation standing up and expressing our beliefs we are going to win in great, in great numbers. I really believe that. Parting word. And I love when he talks about this. Parting word. Um, I teach at a college, so I think there's, and he has chapters in, at different colleges. And so I think college can be good, but you need to know why you're going and, right. and know why you're going. And Charlie, uh, he, has, he has a great reason for that, and I, I'm sure he can. Yeah, n n be able to answer the question of why you're going to college, not where you're going to college. Uh, if you decide not to go to college, um, God bless you. And uh, we need more plumbers, electricians, carpenters, people that go to the military, entrepreneurs. I'll say this super close in closing. If you're a parent, stop putting pressure on your kid to go to college. It's wrong and it's not right. There's no data to support it. They don't need to go to college to succeed. And large in part, I'm gonna say something provocative on the way out. A lot of times it's more about parents' ego than the child's future. Many parents are afraid to turn to their neighbors and their family members and say, Johnny's a plumber or Johnny's working construction. They have fear about that because they equate not going to college with failure. That is not true. Instead, a parent should want one thing, you should want your child to know the Lord, have courage, 
and be able to have good character. Who cares if they go to college? God bless you guys. Thanks so much.